Chapter 5 of My Southern Home, or The South and Its People. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. My Southern Home, or The South and Its People, by William Wells Brown. Chapter 5 dr gaines and wife having spent the heated season at the north travelling for pleasure and seeking information upon the mode of agriculture practised in the free states returned home filled with new ideas which they were anxious to put into immediate execution and therefore a radical change was at once commenced two of the most interesting changes proposed were the introduction of a plough which was to take the place of the heavy, unwieldy one then in use, and a washing-machine, instead of the hard hand-rubbing then practiced. The first called forth much criticism amongst the men in the field, where it was christened the Yankee Dodger, and during the first half a day of its use, it was followed by a large number of the Negroes, men and women, wondering at its superiority over the old plow, and wanting to know where it was from. But the excitement in the kitchen amongst the women over the washing machine threw the novelty of the plow entirely in the shade. And so that tub with its wheels and fixin' is to do the washin' while we's to sit down and look at it, said Dolly, as ten or a dozen servants stood around the newcomer, laughing and making fun at its ungainly appearance. I don't see why Massa didn't buy a woman out there where the thing is made and fetch him along so she could learn us how to wash with it, remarked Hannah as her mistress came into the kitchen to give orders about the mode of using the washer. Now, Dolly, said the mistress, we are to have new rules hereafter about the work. While at the north, I found that the women got up at four o'clock on Monday mornings and commenced the washing, which was all finished and out on the lines by nine o'clock. Now, remember that, hereafter, there is to be no more washing on Fridays, and ironing on Saturdays as you used to do. And, instead of six of you great big women to do the washing, two of you with the washer can do the work. And out she went, leaving the negroes to the contemplation of the future. I wish Missus had stayed at home, stead of going round the world, bringing home new rules. Who she thinks going to get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, cause she fetch home this wash-box? said Dolly, as she gave a knowing look at the other servants. The Lord knows that this child ain't going to get out of her sweet bed at four o'clock in the morning, but nobody. You hears that, don't you? remarked Winnie, as she gave a loud laugh and danced out of the room. Before the end of the week, Peter had run the new plow against a stump, and had broken it beyond the possibility of repair. When the lady arose on Monday morning, at half-past nine, her usual time, instead of finding the washing out on the lines, she saw, to her great disappointment, the inside works of the washer taken out, and Dolly, the chief laundress, washing away with all her power, in the old way, rubbing with her hands, the perspiration pouring down her black face. "'What have you been doing, Dolly, with the washer?' exclaimed the mistress, as she threw up her hands in astonishment. 
"'Well, you see, missus,' said the servant, "'that machine don't work no way. "'I tried it one way, then I tried it the other way, "'and it still would not work. "'So, you see, I got the screwdriver and I took it to pieces. "'That's the reason I ain't got along faster with the work.' Mrs. Gaines returned to the parlor, sat down, and had a good cry, declaring her belief that Negroes could not be made white folks, no matter what you should do with them. Although the patent plow and the washer had failed, Dr. and Mrs. Gaines had the satisfaction of knowing that one of their new ideas was to be put into successful execution in a few days. While at the North, they had eaten at a farmhouse some new cheese, just from the press, and on speaking of it, she was told by old Aunt Nancy, the black mamma of the place, that she understood all about making cheese. This piece of information gave general satisfaction, and a cheese press was at once ordered from St. Louis. The arrival of the cheese press the following week was the signal for the new sensation. Nancy was at once summoned to the great house for the purpose of superintending the making of the cheese. A prouder person than the old negress could scarcely have been found. Her early days had been spent on the eastern shores of Maryland, where the blacks have an idea that they are, by nature, superior to their race in any other part of the habitable globe. Nancy had always spoken of the Kentucky and Missouri negroes as low-brack trash and now that all were to be passed over and the only marylander on the place called in upon this great occasion her cup of happiness was filled to the brim what do you need besides the cheese press to make the cheese with nancy inquired mrs gaines as the old servant stood before her with her hands resting upon her hips and looking at the half dozen slaves who loitered around listening to what was being said "'Well, missus,' replied Nancy, "'I must have a run-it.' "'What's a run-it?' inquired Mrs. Gaines. "'Why, you see, missus, you's got to have a sheep killed, "'and get out of it the maw, and that's what's called to run-it. "'And I puts that in the milk, and it curdles the milk so it makes cheese.' "'Then I'll have a sheep killed at once,' said the mistress, "'and orders were given to Jim to kill the sheep.' Soon after, the sheep's carcass was distributed amongst the negroes, and to run it in the hands of old Nancy. That night there was fun and plenty of cheap talk in the negro quarters, and in the kitchen, for it had been discovered amongst them that a calf's run it, and not a sheep's, was the article used to curdle the milk for making cheese. The laugh was then turned upon Nancy, who, after listening to all sorts of remarks in regard to her knowledge of cheese-making, said in a triumphant tone, suiting the action to the words, "'You niggers think you knows a heap, but you don't know as much as you think. When the sheep is killed, I knows that you niggers would get the meat to eat. I knows that.' With this remark, Nancy silenced the entire group. Then, putting her hand akimbo, the old woman sarcastically exclaimed, "'Tomorrow you'll all have calf's meat for dinner. Then what will you have to say about old Nancy?' Hearing no reply, she said, "'Why is you smart niggers now? Where's you, I ask you?' "'Well, then,' 
if aunt nancy ain't some punkins this child knows nothing remarked ike as he stood up at full length viewing the situation on as if he had caught a new idea i allus told you that aunt nancy had more in her head than what you catch out with a fine-tooth comb exclaimed peter but how is you going to tell missus about killing the sheep asked jim nancy turned to the headman and replied the same mother with that told me to get some sheep for you niggers would tell me what to do the lord always guides me through my troubles and trials before i open my mouth he always fills it the following day nancy presented herself at the great house door and sent in for her mistress on the lady's appearing the servant putting on a knowing look said missus when the moon is cold and the water runs high in it then i have to put calves running in the milk instead of sheeps so last night i see that the moon is cold and the water is running high well nancy said the mistress i'll have a calf killed at once for i can't wait for a warm moon go and tell jim to kill a calf immediately for i must not be kept out of cheese much longer on nancy's return to the quarters old ned who was past work and who never did anything but eat sleep and talk heard the woman's explanation and clapping his wrinkled hands exclaimed well then nancy you is worth more than all the niggers on this place for you gives us fresh meat every day after getting the right runnet and two weeks work on the new cheese a little soft sour hard-looking thing appearing like anything but a cheese was exhibited at poplar farm to the great amusement of the blacks and the disappointment of the whites and especially mrs gaines who had frequently remarked that her mouth was watering for the new cheese no attempt was ever made afterwards to renew the cheese-making and the press was laid under the shed by the side of the washing machine and the patent plow while we had three or four trustworthy and faithful servants it must be admitted that most of the negroes on poplar farm were always glad to shirk labor and thought that to deceive the whites was a religious duty wit and religion has ever been the negro's forte while in slavery wit with which to please his master or to soften his anger when displeased and religion to enable him to endure punishment when inflicted both dr and mrs gaines were easily deceived by their servants indeed i often thought that mrs gaines took peculiar pleasure in being misled by them and even the doctor with his long experience and shrewdness would allow himself to be carried off upon almost any pretext for instance when he retired at night ike big body servant would take his master's clothes out of the room brush them off and return them in time for the doctor to dress for breakfast there was nothing in this out of the way but the master would often remark that he thought ike brushed his clothes too much for they appeared to wear out a great deal faster than they had formerly ike however attributed the wear to the fact that the goods were wanting in soundness thus the master at the advice of his servant changed his tailor about the same time the doctor's watch stopped at night and when taken to be repaired the watchmaker found it badly damaged 
which he pronounced had been done by a fall. As the doctor was always very careful with his timepiece, he could in no way account for the stoppage. Ike was questioned as to his handling of it, but he could throw no light upon the subject. At last, one night, about twelve o'clock, a message came for the doctor to visit a patient who had a sudden attack of cholera morbus. The faithful Ike was nowhere to be found, nor could any traces of the doctor's clothes be discovered. Not even the watch, which was always laid upon the mantel-shelf, could be seen anywhere. It seemed clear that Ike had run away with his master's daily wearing apparel, watch and all. Yes, and further search showed that the boots, with one heel four inches higher than the other, had also disappeared. But go the doctor must, and Mrs. Gaines and all of us went to work to get the doctor ready. While Cato was hunting up the old boots, and Hannah was in the attic getting the old hat, Jim returned from the barn and informed his master that the sorrel horse, which he had ordered to be saddled, was nowhere to be found, and that he had got out the bay mare, and as there was no saddle on the place, Ike having taken the only one, he, Jim, had put the buffalo robe on the mare. It was a bright moonlight night, and to see the doctor on horseback without a saddle, dressed in his castaway suit, was indeed ridiculous in the extreme. However, he made the visit, saved the patient's life, came home, and went snugly to bed. The following morning, to the doctor's great surprise, in walked Ike at his usual time, with the clothes in one hand and the boots nicely blacked in the other. The faithful slave had not seen any of the other servants, and consequently did not know of the master's discomfiture on the previous night. "'Were any of the servants off the place last night?' inquired the doctor, as Ike laid the clothes carefully on a chair, and was setting down the boots. "'No, I spec not,' answered Ike. "'Were you off anywhere last night?' asked the master. "'No, sir,' replied the servant. "'What? Not off the place at all?' inquired the doctor sharply. Ike looked confused, and evidently began to smell a mice. "'Well, massa, I was not away only to step over to the prayer meeting at the corners a little while, that's all,' said Ike. "'Where's my watch?' asked the doctor. "'I expect it's on the mantel-shelf there, where I put it last night, sir,' replied Ike and at the same time reached to the timepiece, where he had laid it a moment before, and, holding it up triumphantly, "'Here it is, sir, right where I left it last night.' Ike was told to go, which he was glad to do. "'What shall I do with that fellow?' said the doctor to his wife, as the servant quitted the room. Ike had scarcely reached the back yard when he met Cato, who told him of his absence on the previous night, being known to his master. When Ike had heard all, he exclaimed, "'Well, then, if the old boss knows it, this nigger is caught sure as you was born. "'I would not be in your shoes, Ike, for a heap this morning,' said Cato. "'Well,' replied Ike, "'I thank the Lord that I has got religion to stand it.' Dr. Gaines, as he dressed himself, 
found nothing out of the way until he came to look at the boots. The doctor was lame from birth. Here he saw unmistakable evidence that the high heel had been taken off and had been replaced by a screw put through the inside, and the seam waxed over. Dr. Gaines had often thought, when putting his boots on in the morning, that they appeared a little loose, and on speaking of it to his servant, the negro would attribute it to the blacking, which he said made the leather stretch. That morning when breakfast was over, and the negroes called in for family prayers, all eyes were upon Ike. It has always appeared strange that the negroes should seemingly take such delight in seeing their fellow-servants in a bad fix. But it is nevertheless true, and Ike's bad luck appeared to furnish sport for old and young of his own race. At the conclusion of prayers, the doctor said, "'Now, Ike, I want you to tell me the truth, and nothing but the truth, of your whereabouts last night, and why you wore away my clothes.' "'Well, Massa,' said Ike, "'I'm going to tell you God's truth.' "'That's what I want, Ike,' remarked the master. "'Now,' continued the negro, "'I wear the clothes to the dance, "'cause you see, Massa, "'I know that you didn't want your body-servant "'to go to the ball looking poor, "'dressed in other gentlemen's boys. "'So you see, I had no clothes myself, "'so I takes yours.' I had to knock the heel off the lame-leg boot so that I could wear it, and then I took old Sorrel, cause he paces so fast and so easy. No other horse could get me to the city in time for the ball, except an old Sorrel. You see, massa, ten miles is a good ways to go after you is gone to bed. Now, massa, I hope you'll forgive me this time, and I'll never do so any more. During Ike's telling his story, his master kept his eyes riveted upon him, and at its conclusion said, "'You first told me that you were at the prayer meeting at the corners. What did you do that for?' "'Well, massa,' replied Ike, "'I knowed that I oughta had gone to the prayer meeting, and that's the reason I said I was there.' "'And you're a pretty Christian, going to a dance instead of your prayer meeting.' "'This is the fifth time you've fallen from grace,' said the master. "'Oh, no,' quickly responded Ike. "'This is only the fourth time that I has backslid. "'But this is not the first time that you have taken my clothes and worn them. "'And there's my watch. "'You could not tell the time. "'What did you want with that?' said the doctor. "'Yes, massa,' replied Ike. "'I'll tell the truth. "'I wore the clothes afore this time,' and I take the watch, too, and I let it fall, and that's the reason it stopped that time. And I know I could not tell due time by the watch, but I guessed at it, and that made a nigger stare at me to see me have a watch. The announcement that Colonel Lemmy was at the door cut short the further investigation of Ike's case. The colonel was the very opposite to Dr. Gaines, believing that there was no good in the negro except to toil, and feeling that all religious efforts to better the condition of the race was time thrown away. The colonel laughed heartily as the doctor told how Ike had worn his clothes. He quickly inquired if the servant had been punished, and when informed that he had not, he said, The lash is worth more than all the religion in the world. 
your boy Ike, with the rest of the niggers around here, will go to a prayer meeting and will tell how good they feel or how bad they feel, just as it may suit the case. They'll cry, groan, clap their hands, pat their feet, worry themselves into a lather of sweat, saying, I'm a gonna keep a climbing high, see the heavenly land, till I meet them air angels in the sky, see the heavenly land, dem pooty angels I shall see, see the heavenly land, why don't the devil let a me be, see the heavenly land. Yes, doctor, these niggers will pray till twelve o'clock at night, break up their meeting and go home shouting and singing, glory, hallelujah, and every darn one of them will steal a chicken, turkey, or pig, and cry out, Come down, sweet chariot, and carry me home to heaven. Yes, and still continue to sing till they go to sleep. You may give your slaves religion, and I'll give mine the whip, and I'll bet that I'll get the most tobacco and hemp out of the same number of hands. I hardly think, said the doctor, after listening attentively to his neighbor, that I can let Ike pass without some punishment. Yet I differ with you in regard to the good effects of religion upon all classes, more especially our Negroes, for the African is preeminently a religious being. With them, I admit, there is considerable superstition. They have a permanent belief in good and bad luck, ghosts, fortune-telling, and the like. But we whites are not entirely free from such notions. At the last sentence or two, the colonel's eyes sparkled and he began to turn pale, for it was well known that he was a firm believer in ghosts and fortune-telling. "'Now, doctor,' said Colonel Lemmy, "'every sensible man must admit the fact that ghosts exist, and that there is nothing in the world truer than that the future can be told. Look at Mrs. McWilliams' lawsuit with Major Todd. She went to old Frank, the nigger fortune-teller, and asked him which lawyer she should employ.' The old man gazed at her for a moment or two and said, Mrs., you's got your mind on two lawyers, a big man and a little man. If you takes the big man, you loses the case. If you takes the little man, you wins the case. Sure enough, she had in contemplation the employment of either McGuire or Darby. The first is a large man. The latter was, as you know, a small man. So, Taking the old negro's advice, she obtained the services of John F. Darby and gained the suit. Yes, responded the doctor. I have always heard that the widow McWilliams gained her case by consulting old Frank. Why, doctor, continued the colonel, in an animated manner, when the races were at St. Louis three years ago, I went to old Betty, the blind fortune-teller, to see which horse was going to win, and she said, Massa, Bet your money on the gray mare. Well, you see, everybody thought that Johnson's black horse would win, and piles of money was bet on him. However, I bet one hundred dollars on the gray mare, and to the utter surprise of all, she won. When the race was over, I was asked how I come to bet on the mare when everybody was putting their funds on the horse. I then told them that I never risked my money on any horse till I find out which was going to win. Now, with regard to ghosts, just let me say to you, doctor, that I saw the ghost of the peddler that was murdered over on the old road just as sure as you were born. Do you think so? 
asked the doctor. Think so? Why, I know it, just as well as I know that I see you now. He had his pack on his back, and it was in the daytime, no night work about it. He looked at me, and I watched him till he got out of sight. But wasn't I frightened? It made the hair stand up on my head, I tell you. Did he speak to you? asked the doctor. Oh, no, he didn't speak, but he had a sorrowful look, and as he was getting out of sight, he turned and looked over his shoulder at me. Most of the superstition among the whites in our section was the result of their close connection with the blacks, for the servants told the most foolish stories to the children in the nurseries, and they learned more, as they grew older, from the slaves in the quarters or out on the premises. End of chapter 5 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista